You're listening to Inspirational Decency, episode 787, Buckle Your Sandwich Belt. And now, time for another edition of Darren's DVD Enclave. In the annals of comedy history, few performers have been as unfairly forgotten as vaudeville star Bix Olsen. Known to audiences throughout the circuit, in the teens and twenties, by such nicknames as Quiverbelly, the Salesman of Silly, and Corporal Dumbass, Bix earned a reputation as a physical comedian without parallel. He would routinely dive into furniture, slap himself in the face, and fall off the stage, even at shows at which he wasn't on the bill. Olsen's popularity reached its peak during the years 1918 to 1922, a period of our showbiz past commonly referred to as the Golden Age of Screaming. Audiences were hungry for all forms of entertainment, in which the performers bellowed their lines at top volume, and Olsen did not disappoint, fearlessly shredding his vocal cords in such touring reviews as Mr. Sad from 1920 and Hate from 1921. Inevitably, Olsen's handlers urged him to make the transition to motion pictures in an attempt to broaden his appeal. The sole result of this effort was 1923's Hab Haberdash's Haberdashery, recently released on DVD along with eight other shorts by the Criterion Collection. In this film, Olsen plays a country rube who visits the big city for the first time. His excitement soon sours, however, when passers-by cruelly mock his shabby straw hat, pulling it down over his head so that the top rips. Determined to find a more cosmopolitan chapeau, the rube visits Hab Haberdash's haberdashery. The title character is a smarmy snake-oil salesman who recommends several hideous or ill-fitting hats, managing to severely overcharge Olsen in the process. By convincing him that country money is inherently less valuable than city money, or knickerbucks. Eventually, however, the rube realizes Mr. Haberdash's con and pulls a pistol from his coat. Hab Haberdash, having mentioned previously, for some reason, that he is a coward who cries at the sight of firearms, falls to his knees, weeping and begging for his life. He offers the rube a large sum of money to save himself, but the rube sneers, that their money looks like country dollars to me. Olsen shoots Mr. Haberdash, executes a flawless pratfall, then turns to the camera, and, with a sheepish grin, exclaims, Only Satan can judge me. The movie was a critical and financial failure, a fact that most silent film scholars attribute to filmgoers' reluctance to accept an on-screen Bix Olsen in place of a live Bix Olsen, over whom they could break chairs, bottles, and bassinets. Olsen's career never quite recovered from this setback, and in the 40s, he retired from entertainment to become the head of the Polish Defamation League. The film is relevant to contemporary audiences, however, in the way it depicts the clash between agrarian and urban values in a post-war society, one that was in the midst of an economic boom that would bottom out catastrophically six short years later. Indeed, in 2011, one might say that we are the rubes, and Freddie Mac is Hab Haberdasher, fleecing homeowners of their hard-earned country dollars. Beyond any parallels with modern society, however, the film can simply be enjoyed for its astonishing 
546 instances of profanity, an especially remarkable feat for an eight-minute movie. Special features include a commentary by critic David Thompson, who repeatedly asks to no one in particular, why is this funny? And an interview with Olson's son, Morris, who speaks movingly of breaking a chair over his father at his funeral in 1974. This has been Darren's DVD Enclave. And now, a man struggles to remember the plot of Hamlet. So, Hamlet is a prince. A prince of... he's in Denmark. He's the prince of Denmark, that much I know. And so, one day, uh, his he comes home to his house, and his mom is waiting there in the living room for him. And she's like, don't panic. We probably shouldn't freak out about this. But I killed your father. And he is like, what? Why? Oh, that is ridiculous. Why would you even do that? What, what is your deal? Like, I mean, I understand he could be rather uncouth. But murder is an unacceptable, some would say, tragic flaw, mother. And he really gave her a scolding. He was like, this is nuts. And he's running around the room, waving his hands, and he tripped over a big piece of plywood that was there. I don't remember why it was. It just, I think in Shakespeare's stage directions, it just says big piece of plywood. He doesn't say if it was for like a home project or something or if he was building a bed or a raft. But in any case, he does that for like a few minutes. And, you know, his mom, is, she, she feels terrible. And at, at this point, she addresses the audience in like what Shakespeare would have referred to as like a side. Like he, she's taking a side to the audience and just saying like, hey... I'm just going to speak to you and forget about this dumb play I'm in. That's how sides work. So she's like, well, can you believe he's so overreacting about this? I mean, I didn't want to do it. I told him, you know, that I feel bad about this. It just kind of happened. What else was I going to do? He started throwing sandals at my legs. And, you know, it doesn't really hurt, but it's annoying. And yeah, like, I killed him. And let's all just, like, get over it. And then at this point in the play, she usually uh, does some crowd work. Like, she'll kind of go out into the audience and say, like, where are you from? And, you know, if it's, depending on where it is, maybe let's just say it's in Denver. I'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm from Denver. And uh, she'll say, I don't know what Denver is. I'm from the Shakespeare days, and uh, people, people have a good laugh. But in any case, uh, usually someone, like she'll, she'll ask that person, what do you do for a living? And that person will say, oh, maybe I work with computers. 
Well, not maybe. They'll, they'll probably know they work with computers. But, in, yeah, in any case, oh, I'm a computer sales guy. She'll say, I don't know what computers are. I'm from Shakespeare ages. And uh, it goes on like that for about 20 minutes um, with Hamlet's mom not knowing anything about modern inventions. They do about five minutes on, uh, on uh, like, DVR, like what that is. And usually someone has to explain it to her, and she'll say, oh, now I can tape, you know, uh, any episodes of NCIS that I miss. This is very handy. And so after a while, she just kind of goes back up on stage, and Hamlet's like, okay, this is what we got to do. We got to cover this up so that no one knows you killed him. But at the same time, if people know that their king is dead, like at this point, when we're at war with Octon, I think it's Octon is the name of the country. Either that or the country called Slotvia. If people know that you know their king is dead at such a sensitive time, they're going to flip out. So what we got to do is make sure that he seems alive. And so they kind of put like a Hawaiian shirt on him and he, they sort of pretend like, you know, they make him wave at people. And it just always kind of looks like he has his arms around like his son and his wife. And eventually um, they take a poll among the people of Denmark on who their favorite king is, like of all time. And 84% say it's him. So this is working great. His approval ratings are through the roof. People love him. They like his new policies of nodding instead of speaking. They they really respond to that. They like uh, his new uh, pro-constant sunglass wearing policy. Uh, that's something they really take to. They like the fact that he really seems to listen to them and nod a lot as opposed to interjecting with his own opinion, like, ever. So, yeah, things are great. Uh, and that's, that's as much as I can remember of Act 1, anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's Act 1. And then during the intermission, I remember I spoke to a man who had seen Yanni in concert, and I talked to him for about 84 minutes. Uh, not 84, sorry. However long the intermission was, which was about 15 or 20. It felt like 84 because uh, he really went on and on about Yanni and his love of Yanni's flowing curls. Uh, so anyway, I forget what I was talking about, but uh, if you uh, have seen my Schwinn bicycle please return it. Oh, wait, I was talking about Hamlet, right. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that was Act 1, and I guess, let's see, I'll, I'll remember, I'll get back to, back to you about Act 2 in a few minutes. I just need to think. And now, the man continues to struggle to remember the plot of Hamlet. So, okay, so, I think when I left off before... I was on Act 2, and so at the end of Act 1, there were 
the uh, like Hamlet and his mother were sort of formulating a plan to make it look like the king was still alive, like Hamlet's dad was still alive. And it was going okay. And then suddenly, uh, in the middle of a very important speech, where they just kind of played a tape recorder of one of uh, his old speeches, I guess, uh, Hamlet's dad's arm falls off, which is crazy. Uh, and so, you know, they got to think fast now. Like, what are they going to do? And so they decide to announce that Hamlet's dad was killed by renegade park rangers and that all park rangers in the country of Denmark should be rounded up and put into prison and poked with sticks that they could only purchase at participating max locations and so this was pretty pretty genius thinking on the part of both Hamlet and his mother because now not only are, have they demonized park rangers which is ideal park rangers are the lowest forms of life constantly roaming around forests making sure that God's plan for fire is thwarted. I mean, who do, they think, who do they think they are, really? Do they think they are deputy deities that can act on God's behalf? I think not. If a brush fire occurs, it is God's way of letting everyone know that fire exists and will kill them. That is the message to take away from any brush fire or large forest fire. This is happening because God wants death and also because he enjoys uh, forest fires from an aesthetic standpoint. Just the sort of general look of them is something that he enjoys looking down on from his perch on top of creation. So, you know, forest rangers, park rangers, the worst. So, any plan that demonizes them is obviously quite ingenious. And the fact that people have to purchase special poking sticks from particular Max locations, I mean, this is great for the Max Corporation. I mean, talk about brand awareness. Now they're putting out ads really emphasizing the, the fact that if you want to poke a, a forest ranger with a stick, Max is the place to help you out with that. I mean, this is sort of unparalleled market domination. You can't just whittle a stick from the woods and poke a, a forest ranger. I guess you could. But the way they spun it in the play is that if you were to try to do it yourself, your own stick wouldn't have the same degree of sharpness. 
So why, you know, do it yourself when you can leave it to a professional who's going to craft a poking stick that really punctures the skin of the arm? Not in, in the sense that it's a stabbing, but just like a, a light grazing of the skin that breaks the skin and perhaps leaves a, a scar of some kind. Anyway, so throughout most of the rest of the play then, it's just Danish people poking park rangers with sticks. And eventually, someone says, wait a minute, what's really going on here? If you think about it. Park rangers killing the king? Does that make sense to anyone else? And then Hamlet, his mother, gets super nervous. Because I don't know if you remember me telling you this, but she killed their father. And so they are quaking in their boots. And in the production I saw, the actress who played Hamlet's mother chose to give her a large retainer, as if she, you know, like an adult retainer like in her mouth for her teeth. So she's really sort of shaking, and uh, her retainer falls out, and it's really quite... A kerfuffle and there's a large sort of a long pause as people sort of take in this information and start to think about it and finally an elderly man 85 year old man emerges from the crowd truly a sage figure a voice of wisdom and maturity and experience someone who will weigh the evidence carefully without rushing to judgment or without having anything personally invested in the situation he strokes his beard for about 10 seconds and then announces who gives a crap and then he goes back to poking park rangers and Hamlet and his mother are like phew thank god that got resolved what a wacky adventure and at that point as people are poking the park rangers, Hamlin and his mother included, a narrator played by Howie Mandel and walks on stage. And he says, well, this was quite an adventure we had today, folks. If we've learned anything from this, it's that people, park rangers, kings of Denmark, we're all made of skin. And we should all every now and then be poked and then he takes out one of those surgical gloves and puts it over his head and blows it up like a balloon and then the audience gets sprayed with tomato sauce that was a little un, well, a little incongruous put it that way and then people go out into the lobby they're dripping with tomato sauce and uh, the play's over and everyone's had presumably a great time and there's usually merchandise in the lobby, like Shakespeare uh, self-released rap CDs. One of them is called, But, 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 give me that but. Which is a little crude, but oh well. Such is the parlance of Elizabethan rap, I suppose. And yeah, so if anyone has any questions, I will be waiting outside with a stick.
Good night and go away. <laughs>